Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, a show where we talk to experts who've taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have sailed around the world to those who've started thriving businesses and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. This is episode 10 with author, surfer, and meditation teacher, Jamal Yogis. This episode was brought to you by the Surf Diva Surf School. I've taught at Surf Diva for years and seen hundreds of men and women learn to ride waves, and it literally changes their lives. If you go to surfdiva.com and book a lesson online or on the phone, tell them the code WILDIDEAS, you'll get a $10 gift card to use towards your next lesson or in-store. This episode was also brought to you by Graced by Grit. I love this female-owned brand because they're all about helping women cultivate their grit to find their grace. They also make kick-ass activewear clothes. I can literally go running in my yoga pants from Graced by Grit, throw them in a ball, wear them the next day and the next day, and they still look great. And they fit amazing, which is always important when you're running and doing yoga and all sorts of active activities, living wildly. If you go to gracebygrit.com and enter code WILDIDEAS, you'll get 20% off your first order. Welcome to episode 10 of Wild Ideas Worth Living. Jamal Yogis wrote The Saltwater Buddha, which became a movie and is an amazing book. He also wrote the book, The Fear Project, a bestseller, and the kids' book, Turtles Don't Surf. We pretty much cover it all on this podcast. I might stumble on the first question, but the rest of the podcast flows really nicely. Jamal's voice is also calming and zen, so it's a nice one to listen to on the road. We talk about running away from home, about meditation, about fear, love, having kids, politics, surfing giant waves, death, life. Jamal is a thinker and he really gets deep in this one. We also talk about his new book coming out this summer. Jamal was a work acquaintance. He's become a good friend. He's a great speaker. I really hope you enjoy this show. All right. Today we have Jamal Yogis, author, surfer, meditation guru, all around awesome guy. Um, he has a film. Well, Jamal, you've done so many great things. So welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. I'm really excited to have you on. I'm just going to get right, right into it. So you've had a lot of wild ideas from since you were a teenager. You ran away from home to surf in Hawaii as a teen. Then you went to a Buddhist monastery. You went to Columbia Journalism School to be a journalist. You wrote a book. That book kicked butt. It became a movie. You wrote another book that forced you to surf big waves like Mavericks. You got married, had kids. You're doing another book. All of these, all of these wild ideas have to have involved some element of getting over fear and self-doubt I'm just trying to look what has been the common theme th that's kind of threaded through all of these wild ideas. Yeah, it's well, thanks for having me on Shelby. It's, uh, it's good to good to be here. And I'm excited about the show. I've been listening and you've had some awesome people on. So it's an honor to be uh, to be queued up. Um, you know, I mean, at the risk of sounding cliche, I think it's really been looking into my heart um when i'm in that moment of like where you know we all have all these 
these forks in the road and you you basically are we're always doing this dance between security and freedom you know it's like do i go the safe route or do i go the route where um you know my vision is calling and sometimes they line up where your vision is calling you to something more secure and and you follow that but sometimes it's not like when you know i got that i wild idea to run away from home at 16 and i was on you know probation for <laughs> drug driving and um was just getting into a lot of trouble in high school you know like i was an ordinary high school kid i think i was just always the one who got caught <laughs> but i mean from that, <laughs> from that from those first i mean i remember from that first moment that 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 was actually inspired by some dreams that i'd had about uh, where I was surfing and I was in tropical water and I was living in Sacramento at the time, um, landlocked and skating a lot. Um, and the, in the dreams, I just felt free and I realized that I felt sort of caged in my um, suburban life where I was kept getting roped into, you know, the popularity contest or, you know, the uh, ridiculous aspects of high school more than I wanted to be. Um, you know, I had a lot of great friends too, but, uh, it's really that pattern that I've seen emerge again and again in my life is like I'm getting caught in the churn of what I should be doing or what it seems like what society is telling me is popular or normal. And I compare myself to the, to those who, who are being the most loved and then start to go in that direction rather than following um, really what I know to be true. Like my, my core, um, values, my dreams. And so in that case, I remember it was just, it was really like getting, I mean, first of all, I was in the place where I just felt like I was, I was hitting my head against the wall. I kept getting in trouble and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't happy. And so I think sometimes you just have to reach that breaking point to really break through fear. And I, and it's one of the reasons why now I, in my meditation classes and stuff, I teach people to look at every fear and every hardship as a gift, because it's those moments when you're down that you really, uh, can look deep and say, okay, you know, what do I need to do to change this? I can't, I can't keep going in this direction. And, um, you know, in that case, it was, uh, I think it helped to be 16 and not have as much like prefrontal cortex built up and, you know, uh, telling me not to go and I just getting that one way ticket and, and leaping, um, was just trusting my own inner vision. And as you know, I wrote the fear project and I studied all this neuroscience and interviewed all these psychologists about, the way that people overcome fear. And even after I have all that, that data accessible in my head of like what I could do to overcome this fear in the moment. And sometimes I go to that, like, Oh, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. I'm going to, um, you know, use these tricks that I learned from the neuropsychologist, but more than anything, it's still just getting quiet and, you know, listening to, for lack of a better word, my heart uh, about where, I want to be and, and then taking the, you know, and then giving it a go. And sometimes it's a matter of trial and error. I think a lot of times I've gone down a road that, um, you know, doesn't feel right. And so I know I have to readjust and, um, and I think that's where meditation and why meditation and surfing have been so helpful to me is just, um, 
they're both places where I can sort of block off the noise and, and start to listen. Yeah, what, I, what I love about all of your books, and you know, they're all memoirs, so we all get to know you really well. You know, when, when you wrote Saltwater Buddha, you end up going to a Buddhist monastery and you think you're going to be a Buddhist monk, but there gets to be a point where you're like, no, I like girls. Like, I want to have <laughs> a relationship and not be celibate for the rest of my life. And then you do the fear project and you, you go surf big waves, but you have your limits. You know, you surf 30 foot Mavericks, which is giant. Um, but my guess is that then, you know, you don't go to Nazare in Portugal and go surf that. So, mm-hmm. so you drop in and you conquer your fears and you're okay with that, but you pivot as well, which I've always thought was, or you, you sort of like do the fear and then, you know, you conquer it, but you don't keep going, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, nothing is static, right? It's like our, our, uh, what we want is always changing. And, um, sometimes, you know, you need to sort of shatter one, uh, fear that's holding you back in order, um, to find out that, uh, that that was sort of a, a phantom of some sort that you didn't need really, um, to deal with. It's like, for me, Mavericks was this thing where it was haunting me. It was like, you know, it's down the street from my house in San Francisco, a bunch of my friends surfed there. I kept thinking, I I didn't really have this desire to be a big wave surfer, but I had this desire to prove that I could do it. And then I would get sort of angry at myself for being like, I don't need it. I don't know. I don't have anything to prove. And I think I really needed the intellectual challenge of like writing a book about fear to motivate myself to do it. So I had an excuse like, oh, this isn't about me and my like, you know, proving I have the cojones. It's about, you know, research for the, for the, for the betterment, for the book and which will hopefully help people. But, you know, after I went out there, um, you know, I trained and out here at Ocean Beach and after I went out and got it out of my system, it was it was funny that that sort of adolescent part of myself that needed um, to just show myself that I could do it, that I could, you know, be one of the boys out there was like, oh, I don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> Thank God I don't need to do this anymore because I really the whole thing about Mavs is that for me, I serve to have, you know, moments of peace and tranquility mixed with adrenaline. But out there, it was, um, you know, crowded, menacing. Uh, I was out the night Simon Maloski died. And that was my last session out there. And I was just like, you know, this isn't this isn't my path. I know that there are some uh, big wave surfers who that's where their heart is. That's like, that's where they find their bliss and, you know, more power to them. But I realized that's not mine. And I, but I needed to go through that hoop in order to free myself up a little bit. It's like to satisfy, you know, teenage Jamal and be like, okay, you know, stop squawking. Now I have other mountains to climb. And, um, I think that was true to some extent with the monastery too, is you have these sort of versions of yourself that you need to satisfy. And then once you've, you've gone down that road, um, you, you bring with you that part of you that you learned at Mavericks or at the monastery, but then you realize it was a stepping stone to something else. Can I just ask you one tactical question? There's so many listeners that are surfers, including myself. What is one tactic you use to just 
conquer fear or to deal with the fear of big waves? In the water. I mean, well, what I learned in the fear project was really, I mean, all the, all the, uh, neuroscience for really the way we conquer a fear, like a physical fear, like a snake or a big wave is that we take positive steps toward facing our fear. So you don't want to go from, you know, surfing Waikiki to just being like, I can do this, you know, screw it. I'm going to surf Mavericks and, um, and just find yourself out there. You want to, you know, grade up to that point. So, um, and feel really confident in waves that are as close to Mavericks as you can get before you go to the real thing. So it's really, I had a, a mantra that I developed, which was prepare, 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 flow, prepare, 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 let go. And for things that mm. are like Mavericks where you're going to be facing real danger, you've got to do the prep work to basically um, to really prepare and to trick your mind into feeling comfortable. So when you're out there, you can be like, I worked for this. I know that I've done everything I need to do to feel safe. And now it's the time to flow and let go when you're out there. And when you do that, um, there's a few tricks um, that I have, which one is like, if you feel yourself sort of almost going and then he and hesitating and you're, and you're like, I know I have to just push over the ledge is actually you feel fear and you feel frustration. And oftentimes you frame that fear as like, Oh no, I feel afraid. And now I'm going to do worse. And what I try to do is flip it on its head right away. It's like, Hey, you know what this fear is doing? You know what this frustration is? It's energy in my body. My body's going through a fight or flight. And what it's doing is saying it's getting ready to fight the bear, the saber tooth tiger. So it's actually giving me more adrenaline and mm. giving me more energy that I need. And this is good. And so I almost like in that way that you would be like a lion, like, Rawr, like I'm ready to go. You, you, you paddle harder and you say, and you use that frustration to be like, okay, the next wave that comes that looks good. Like I'm not backing off no matter what I'm going. And, um, Again, it's sort of like just like in life where you get to that breaking point and you're like, I'm tired of hesitating. I have to have to push over and and using the frustration as energy to break through. There's lots of other things too. you know, I I focus on my breathing. Um, I try to get out of, you know, my head and into my body. I remind myself that there's a bunch of other people who have done this and fallen and they're, they're okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, kind of psyching yourself out, um, like shutting down the, the worries with some logic and then going back into your body. Because when you go back to your body and your breath and use your breath as an anchor, you're basically telling your ancient fear center that things are, are okay. You're sort of, um, your ancient fear center and your brain can't really always understand your logical reasoning. But as soon as your breath is even and calm and you can come back to that, it starts to actually believe that you are safe. And so if you're over the line of fear, you know, you really using the breath as an anchor in all aspects of life is always um, one that I, that I rely on. This is great advice. Thank you, Jamal. Um, you wrote the fear project and surfed these waves before you had kids. And I don't even know if you kids were always in the plans or not. 
But what lessons did you learn from writing and studying the science of fear that then applied to having kids, which is a full other adventure? Yeah, I mean, by far, I think I was way more scared to propose <laughs> and then way more scared to be a dad than I was um, to paddle out at, at, a, at Mavericks or do anything in that in the surfing realm or snowboarding or any of those, those sports that I do. I think because, um, you know, what so many of us who love the outdoors and love adventure, what we, what we prize the high, you know, what, what is the most important to us is our leisure and that feeling of being out in the wild. Um, you know, it's what we live for. And when, Anything that took away from that, I mean, in all my relationships, I was always a commitment phobe a little bit because it was like anything that took away from that could be, uh, you know, robbing me of my happiness, I felt. And um, so it was interesting. I remember I was actually writing the fear project and researching it when I took my you know, then girlfriend, Amy, my, my, my wife, to Vancouver Island and was, was getting ready to propose. And, you know, this time I knew I had that feeling like intellectually, I know that this is what I want to do. And I could not get my body to physically do it. Like <laughs> I could not get the ring out wow, <laughs> of my really? bag to do it. And, and for I, you listening, Amy is a badass and she's <laughs> such a kick-ass wife, but, um, go on. Sorry. So you so couldn't I'm up there get on Vancouver Island and it was like we were doing all these adventures like going kayaking, you know, we were going surfing, we were just like hiking and we're staying in this beautiful uh, new hotel up there because I was doing a writing project and so it was like every day could have been the day and it was like day six and we had to leave the next day and I still hadn't gotten the ring out. And it was funny, I remember uh I actually, I was like, all right, what do I need, you know, to get over the hump here? Like, what's, what, what am I, what am I worried about? And growing up, we, my dad was a big fan of the musical Man of La Mancha, which is like the story of Don Quixote. And, um, there were all these songs like, you know, that I knew from my childhood, like to dream the impossible dream to, you know, fight the impossible foe, all these and I think because my parents are divorced, I still, the thing that my body was reacting to was like marriage still seemed impossible. It seemed like the impossible dream to have a, a marriage that would like increase your happiness rather than take away from it. <laughs> and I think my, in my childhood self still believed that. And so it was actually, I was like, Amy had never seen the movie. So we, I rented it on purpose and we put it on and, and that actually did, that was like the thing. You never know what it's going to be. That was the thing that did push me over the ledge. And I, I, you know, proposed the next day at the tide pools and I've never regretted it, but it was, uh, it was again though. I mean, each time it was kind of trying to get out of getting out of my head and, into my heart and or back to my, you know, breath and body, like just same when we started having the discussion about kids, it was like, I never planned for kids, um, was always said, well, if I meet the right person and meet, you know, then it's, it's all good. We'll do it. If not, I think I could be perfectly happy without kids. 
And uh, with Amy, it felt right, but I was still freaking out. And, um, you know, I didn't watch Man of La Mancha that time. <laughs> but now you have three boys. You have like we have three powerhouse oh little serve team going on there. I can't, I can't even believe it. I don't know what happened, but I, it's fun. It's fun. It, it is an extreme sport. I mean, I think it's why I don't need to any part of Mavericks anymore. It's just like every day is an extreme sport. I can only imagine. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this new book. I got a small taste. I'm a slow reader. I'm sorry. But first, I just want to ask you about your name. I always just assumed, you know, your last name is Yogis. I thought it was like Yogi. It looks like Yogi with an S. Um, I always just assume your parents were super hippies and the name Jamal. I'm just going to read. Can I read the, the can I read a one line of your book? Is that OK? Sure. OK. It says either way, if the name Jamal is making you picture me as a black man or the Yogi Buddhist history is conjuring images of my family as shiny, happy, furry people raising goats in Mendocino. Stop. Goats would have been lovely and I can grow a decent afro thanks to the Jewish my the Jewish roots, but much to the chagrin of my hip hop obsessed twelve year old self, I'm white. Um, that's funny. So <laughs> you just tell me a little bit about, and I know this whole book runs. Sorry if I didn't read it really well, but um, there's a lot of humor in your, in your writing. You make fun of yourself. You're really a great writer. But just tell me a little bit about this name, this last name, especially. Yeah, well, Yogis is um, Yogis is. It looks like Yogis. Uh, is a Lithuanian name and most of my dad's side of the family and some of my moms are from Lithuania, up, you know, near Russia. And apparently Lithuanian is the closest European language to Sanskrit. So we often, because a lot of my family is interested in yoga and meditation, we often joked that there was like some link back before God. like the Aryans came okay. down to India. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, it, it, it's just coincidence. And then my parents, I mean, my dad was in the military. My mom comes from a long line of military uh, men. So, but my parents were rebels and sort of in that in their hippie phase when they named me after a yogi. So I'm, you know, my I'm I have a Indian first name and a, a name. So it looks like yeah, I was planning to be a guru, and you know, now I've been dabbling in that. So I guess I guess my name. <laughs> worked out in the end. I love it. So your next book, All Our Waves Are Water, comes out, I guess, this summer. Is that correct? Yeah, July 4th. July 4th. Okay, so what I, I sorry, I, ha I had a sneak peek um, for those of you listening, but what I really think is interesting about this book is you talk about surfing and you talk about God. And no one does that. I mean, not many people that I know. I mean, there was West of Jesus, but um, this is a really unique exploration. Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, it was, um, I, I wasn't, I, I never, if you would have asked me five years ago if I would have been writing about God, you know, I would have probably laughed. But I um, I think one of the things that I was talking about earlier, how you go down paths and that sometimes you need to explore that don't feel quite right. And then, and, and the going down that path helps remind you who you really are. Cause you're like, well, if this isn't right, then, you know, wh who am I or, or what do I really believe? And so, you know, I, I've always been sort of uh, a seeker, you know, majored in philosophy and religion, lived in a Buddhist monastery and <clears throat> was also really enamored with science. And I went back and forth between wanting to be a scientist, a philosopher, a, you know, a monk. Um, 
And after writing the fear project where I really, it's like a pop science book, right? Where I'm like taking everything, um, only what we can prove scientifically and writing that. And I, you know, I put my emotions in there and stuff, but I don't really allow myself to speculate about the big questions. You know, why are we here after life? Is there, um, an intelligence in the universe? You know, is there a force of compassion? Uh, these things that mystics have talked about, which have been a big part of my life, but I was really, um, up and up through writing the fear project. I always kept those a little bit private. And I also would question them in myself. I would be like, you know, do you really believe that? You know, do you really believe there's a force of good in the universe that is, um, that connects all beings and, or is that something, is that just sort of a, a, like a cute thing that mystics have said to make us feel better. And I think writing a book purely about science and then trying to use, uh, the tools, um, I kept realizing that the things that really helped me get through, uh, fear and the things that helped, uh, that really my compass was, uh, uh, a deeper faith in, um, in the fact that we are, uh, all connected and that, uh, there is a basic sort of force of love in the universe or, or, or force of good that I think a lot of, uh, people call God. And, so I went, you know, it really forced me to look at like, what, what do I believe? What is my faith? And, um, and to, to look at, uh, how my support and belief in science actually, I think can live happily with, um, this faith I have in, um, in a greater, uh, love that connects us sort of at, at the, at the root and so I wanted to explore that. I wanted to explore it in myself. And, you know, the metaphor that I use again and again in All Our Waves Are Water is that, you know, we as beings who see ourselves as completely separate are much more like waves on the ocean um, where we have a unique identity, but we're connected to, we're part of the ocean. Our true identity is water. And so the metaphor in this is that sort of God is is water and um, we are all waves and all the phenomena that exist in the universe are waves. And that, you know, through, um, through yoga, through service, through connecting to nature, through surfing, that we can be more in tune with the water aspect of ourselves and not just caught up in the selfish churn of the wave. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's something that I've, I feel like I've experienced again and again in my life through, you know, being up on the mountain or being in the water or being on my Zafu meditating or just, you know, falling in love. And so I wanted to write about that from the heart and be like, you know, this is the real me. Like if I'm really, if I'm going to be somebody who writes about my life, I need to totally crack my head and heart open and be like, this is what I really believe folks. And I've had to test that myself. And, and so you, I felt like this is the most real book that I've, I've been able to write so far. Cool. And you travel, right? There's some Himalayas, uh, maybe Jerusalem. I don't, I don't know. I'm not all the way there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's got a lot of, it's, uh, the, India, Indonesia, um, Jerusalem, Palestine, wow. New York, San Francisco, Mexico. Um, it's quite a bit of surfing, but also some just uh, time uh, out on the road. And mostly, yeah, 
times that I've made big mistakes and, and learned from those. Okay, I want to ask you about a lot of things right now. Um, really quickly, what's a Zafu? I know this sounds inept that I'm asking you, but I don't, I don't know. Zafu is a little cushion you sit on okay. for in meditation, I uh, like those little round yep. ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Um, you're, you're, now I know what to send you for Christmas. Awesome. My friend just started a meditation cushion company, but they're they're amazing. Um, where you're you're teaching? I love that you said for Christmas too. <laughs> it's so funny talking <laughs> about the faith. Um, you're teaching, you're teaching meditation retreats now, and, um, this is a new wild idea. What kind of meditation do you teach? I mean, um, I, I've gone back to just teaching the basic mindfulness meditation, which there's so much like scientific research on, which is basically just, um, sitting down and being with whatever's in front of you. So mm-hmm. when you sit down, usually you have your breathing. And so you fo- use your breath, just um, focus on the sensations, sensations of your body. And then you realize you're getting, you know, you're drifting away with a bunch of thoughts and stories like, oh, I should be, you know, working right now. And, or, you know, I wonder if I should have said that at lunch. And then you come back to your breathing. And it sounds ridiculously simple. Like, shouldn't you be doing something more? And there are lots of other meditation techniques, but I teach that one because, you know, it's said that that's the one that the Buddha was using when he got enlightened. And, um, there's a lot of research on it being beneficial too. So, uh, keep it simple. I try to do 20 minutes a day. I I've spent some time at Deer Park Monastery, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's place. And, you know, still though, every day thoughts come in and, it's just a constant battle. But um, now I try to breathe through those thoughts. But it's it's amazing the difference between the days when I meditate and the days when I don't. Yeah, it's it, it does, you know, it adds up, I think, to, to a lot of positive change. But you have to remember, too, I mean, what I teach, um, and the reason I think surfing is a great metaphor is that it's not about stopping the waves. It's like about being able to get an objective perspective on them a little bit because you're not going to just, I mean, I've been on retreats where I was silent for 20 days and even then like you still, it's like the waves are still small, but they're, but they're there. Like you get more space between them and it's not, I think um, there's a misconception that meditation is about stopping thought and it's not, it's more about being able to like, not like, the waves not of thought not owning you. So it's really like becoming an expert surfer. Like you are out there and you can be like, oh, you know, there's a thought of jealousy. I'm mm-hmm. not going to ride that one like bad wave. And then, you know, another wave comes through and it's like, hey, you know, um, I, want, I should give my grandma a call today. <laughs> I miss her. You know, and you're like, oh, you know, maybe I will do that. That's a nice idea. But um, so I, I think realizing it's, oh, ahead, too, that those waves don't aren't aren't like you're not making them. They're coming in on their own. Mm-hmm. So that's a big, a big part of it too. I love also that you've surfed in some of the most um, conflicted areas of the world, Jerusalem, <laughs> Palestine, India. Can you talk about surfing in some of these, these places and what you've learned? Yeah. I mean, I actually, those stories from India and Indonesia are, are um, I was up in the Himalayas. I wasn't doing a lot of surfing up there. And then in in Jerusalem is actually like a journalism story um, that's more just about being over there and getting uh, into some heated situations. So not every story is a surfing story, but Mm. I have, um, you know, been in some interesting areas 
but surfing's taken me just to some really cool areas and i've never i don't feel like i have any stories where like you know i was i was in on some far-flung island in indonesia and like you know got involved got confronted by a militia or something but it's it's uh it's gotten me further out than i otherwise would have and i'm i'm grateful for that so you also you know well actually let's talk about writing first writing a book writing a screenplay writing in general being a surfing writer takes an element of discipline um and an element of faith so what habits and routines do you stick to that that you try to do daily yeah i it's a good question i i always try to get my writing done first before i get into facebook or email or anything which cuz i just notice Writing takes so much energy um, and so much focus that if you have anything trying to pull you in another direction, you'll just stop. <laughs> so, always for me, I'm a morning writer. Like, I now I drop the kids off at school and then I just go right to that. And then I do all my like emails and Facebook and stuff in the afternoons or calls um, because I notice if I do that stuff first, I'm just drained and I can't I can't focus. So. Um, you know, that's the biggest one. But then also writing takes, I think, going back to the meditation piece, like if my mind is just really stormy, like one wave on top of the other, I could write all day and I don't think I would say anything useful. So I have to sort of come back to a little bit of silence too, so the waves can find space. And that's where I usually get my best ideas. And then I can write you know, a little bit, uh, that's where I think a lot of the creativity comes from or surfing, like, or, you know, just being outdoors. Um, it's one of those things where you can't, some writers say they just like sit down eight hours in the chair. Like for me, I've got to like do an hour and then go walk around the block or do a couple hours, go for a surf. And then like the things that I'm working through in the narrative start getting worked through out there. And then I can come back and put them down. So I always write really well when I'm running and surfing, and then I never have a pen. It drives me nuts. <laughs> I don't know if this totally. ever happens to you. Totally. No, I'm I'm one of those people who gets out my my phone all the time, and I just have to like jot down ideas really quick, or I'll be like, um, you know, or I'll come in from the surf and be like, you know, scribbling to get an idea down before it leaves. But yeah, I mean. No question. Creativity is more is less about trying than like getting out of your own way a little bit. And so anything that I think gets you uh, out of your own way is it's going to inspire better ideas. I'm really enjoying this conversation and you just have such a calming Zen voice that hopefully those listening to just feel a little bit calmer and more Zen. Um, hopefully they can understand me and I'm not like just droning on. No, no, no. It's great. (laughs) You know, so this show is about having a wild idea and making it a reality. There's getting over fear and then there's committing. So what advice can you give to those who just, what's one piece of advice that you can give to those who just want to live a little bit more wildly and free? I think the best advice for, committing to your dreams is is remembering every day that you're going to die it sounds a little bit morbid Mm. but if you there's a a sort of daily buddhist reflection that like you're gonna you know you're not here forever and life and think about how quickly your life has passed so far and how 
Because often as we get caught up in like the worst case scenario is that, you know, I'll be, I'll be, what if I'm like going to debt or what if I, uh, you know, what if I'm alone, if I break up with that girl or that guy and, and, and when you get at the end of the day, you know, or at the beginning of the day, if you remember, you know what, like I, I am not immortal. Like this is, this is real. It's not a dress rehearsal. And at some point I'm going to be on my deathbed looking back and what advice would I have for myself in, in at that point? Um, and it's, you know, it, for me, it's always bravery enhancing because I'm like, what do I have to lose really? You know, it's, I would rather live a shorter life, like taking it by the reins or grabbing the bull by the horns or whatever metaphor you want yeah. to use than, than, um, or, you know, be on my deathbed being like, you know what, I went for it, I failed, but at least I didn't live, you know, not knowing. And most likely, you know, you're not going to fail. You can't really fail because every failure is, the failures are actually like the deepest learning experiences. And if you really jump, you know, almost always there's, uh, you know, if you quote fail, it's actually like pointing you toward, um, just the next lily pad. So those are a couple of reflections that I, you know, I like I that. Use. I thought the lily pad analogy was it's just a beautiful visual. You know, when you talk about death, it's interesting because you recently lost your father. And I thought your post and writing about losing a father, your father was, it was, you had beautiful writing about it. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, you know, I mean, that that's where I, I get a lot of, that particular reflection actually is that my dad, you know, he got cancer pretty young for how healthy he was. He was, uh, you know, got stage four lung cancer when he was about 65 and I was a really healthy guy otherwise. And, but he had always had this sort of joke about death, like, Oh, you know, I might be dead tomorrow. Um, and when he finally did get the diagnosis, he wasn't, he didn't panic. He was just like, you know, I've been thinking about this, for, for decades. And I'm, I'm, he always, he said, he always loved that Peter Pan quote. I think death will be the greatest adventure. Mm. And through the, all the chemotherapy, everything, he had the best sense of humor. He was always, <laughs> and sometimes he would say, you know what, he's, he, that his last years were his best years, even though he sometimes felt sick because he was like really present. You know, he was, we actually developed maybe our best best part of our relationship was when he was sick. And, um, so, you know, it's a bummer sometimes where you have to, have, where death is this focusing thing and you're like, Oh my God, I haven't appreciated my dad all these years. You know, he's such an amazing guy. And I did appreciate him, but never like I did when I knew I was going to lose him. And mm -hmm. I think it's the same for us. Like we don't really realize like that could, ha it could happen anytime. Right. Like, you know, my friend, my journalism friend who's like in her thirties just died of cancer and you don't know. And so if you're not living every day committed to, uh, you know, your true values or your heart, it's like, what are you doing? You know, it's not, you don't have that long, as long as you think. Yeah, no, and, I, uh, I think those are really important lessons. I mean, I lost my yeah. dad when I was a kid just suddenly. And I just, I was like, I have to live life to the fullest. That was the one lesson I took from it. I mean, it took a lot of lessons, but that's the one that kind of forced me to try to live life to the fullest. Some, sometimes to a fault, but um, 
I think that's good advice. And, and I love what you talk, when you, what you, when you said about what you said about failure was also really beautiful because so much of this show is talking about success, but so many of the people I've interviewed have had to have a lot of failure to get there. Um, yeah, I think that's across the board. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, there are very few people I think like who are world leaders or, you know, folks like, you know, whatever Desmond Tutu or, um, you know, Gandhi, who just had it easy. It's like, it's the challenges that I think allow them to be, um, who they are. And yeah, it's, I mean, that's probably, that's why, I mean, you're one of my inspirations. So, and I didn't know that about your dad. So it's often those challenges that allow you to, you know, go for it. So, well, that being said, what advice would you give to your 15 year old self? And I know your 15 year old self was like a little skate rat up to no good, having fun. (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I don't think it would be like, don't be a little skate rat up to no good. It would, <laughs> I know you're a good kid. I was teasing you. I think, uh, no, I know. I, no, I wasn't. I mean, there are things that I think I, I could have done better back then. But again, it was like that led me to wanting to run away, which was a formative experience. I wouldn't want to do it differently. But I think, um, I think always – there, I, what I want to tell to myself every year um, that I look back is I always have this feeling like I'm not getting enough done, like this mm-hmm. anxiety hanging over me a little bit of like, um, you know, no, I can't go out and, um, you know, drive the coast right now and, and look for some waves because, uh, you know, I've got this assignment and, you know, it's just, uh, I think there were, there were times of my life when now I'm truly busy. Like now I have real commitments where I have to be there for my kids. Like I have to be there to pick them up at school. And before that point, even when I was 15, 16, 17, I felt like over, overbooked. Mm-hmm. And there were so many times where I think I could have, um, like not like drop the guilt, I guess I'm saying like drop the guilt about like being like, Oh, you know, I should be doing more and just enjoy those wild times, you know, where, um, cause you really, you know, when you're 15 in your twenties, you don't have as much responsibility as you think you do. <laughs> so That's true. I think I got to do a lot of fun things, but I think there were times where I felt guilty about that. I would love to tell my, myself then like, Hey man, like it's all good. You're, you're going to be fine. Just enjoy it. You know, I don't even have kids, but this adulting, adulting thing is, is it's challenging. Um, <laughs> we, we think we yeah, taking care of yourself is a lot. Uh, just having kids. Though, I, I can only imagine. So what's the best gift or actually what books do you recommend? You're a writer. Um, so what books do you love and, and do you read and just have really shaped you? Um, I'm a big uh, Salinger fan. So, I mean, as far as like literature goes, like I love his simple style. So like, you know, Franny and Zooey, if you've ever uh, heard that book, is one of my favorites and and Catcher in the Rye. Um, I just like, I've always been a big fan of that simple style. And then, um, you know, I think for surfing, I'm a big fan of Winton, Tim Winton. Like I I loved... uh, breath it got uh you know it was i think just his like his prose are inspiring to me 
Um, he's an Australian novelist for, for folks who haven't read him. And I highly, Breath is a book about two friends growing up on the Australian coast and, and like big wave surfing. It's probably one of the few hmm. books besides Finnegan's uh, recent memoir that's like a true work of literature. Um, oh, about I've surfing. never even heard of him. That sounds yeah. great. Thank you. Yeah, you should check it out. It has it has Tim some dark Winton. twists. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, um, I don't uh, I don't read a ton of like uh, outdoor adventure um, That's memoir okay. or, or stuff like that. But I uh, I, I love. Um, I love history books. So I've been reading Alexander Hamilton's biography. Huh? I highly recommend it for right now, like in a, this yeah. time in our political history. Every American needs to read um, Ron Chernow's biography of Alexander Hamilton. It just talks about you know how the, the our Constitution and the founding principles of you know civil rights and, and liberties that we have. And I think right now. Um, it should be required reading. So I'll, I'll plug that right now. Okay. Well, definitely everybody needs to go read that. Yeah. This is an interesting time in the world. Um, you, you know, you wrote a kid's book. That's the one other thing I wanted to ask you about. How was that? That must've been a joy. It was rad. Yeah. I, I wish I could write kids books all the time. Cause, uh, turtles don't surf, right? Turtles don't surf. Oh, yeah. Nice title. Yeah. You can, you can, you can get it on my website. It's the only place tomorrowyogas.com. Uh, I'll send you a signed one. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was so fun. I, I illustrated it. I, I did it actually not even imagining I would, I would sell them. Um, I made it for our son. Our first son was late in the belly, and he was like, we we're like two weeks past due date. And I was like, all right, already, come on, man, we want to meet you. Aww. And I'd taken time off work, and uh, I remember I went out actually to Rockaway Beach in between here and Pacifica, and I was sitting in a little cafe just watching the waves. It was a super big swell. And I just jotted down this little rhyming story that I thought I would give to him about a turtle who wants to surf. And he lives in this area of the ocean where um, it's forbidden for turtles to surf. Like it's just a dolphin. Dolphins and pelicans are doing it. And uh, he wants to go against the grain. And so, uh, you know, and then when he came home from the hospital, I was like, oh, I kind of like this. And he would, we were staying, take, taking turns like watching him as he slapped because we were like paranoid new parents and we're like oh my god is he breathing <laughs> um and i would just stay up like doing these little sketches and then i turned it into uh turn it into a book but i hope to do more for my other two boys i've been I've been slacking on that a little bit you're not <laughs> you're the least uh you're far from being a slacker you've got a movie um saltwater buddha we didn't even get to talk about that but i think what we're going to do is have to have you on for round two when all things are water comes back out um or comes out to everyone yeah that would be rad i'd love so that. jamal thank you so much for being on uh to the to the people listening right now we'll have links on where to get jamal's books um including turtles don't surf in the show notes and yeah, thank you so much, Jamal. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I actually feel way more zen. So hopefully, if you're listening, you feel more zen too. Thanks, Shelby. It was really fun. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Oh. 
Hopefully you're now ready to grab life by the reins or the bull by the horns, however that saying goes. Love talking to Jamal always. You can get his books on his website, jamalyogis.com. I will also have links on my show notes on the podcast website. You'll go to wildideasworthliving.com. Click on Jamal's show underneath. I'll post a ton of links. If you liked this show, I'd love it if you could review it on iTunes or email me. I'm easy to reach, just shelby at wildideasworthliving.com. If you have feedbacks or comments, I'd love to hear from you as well. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Don't forget, the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. I hope you have a wonderful day. Hug your neighbor. We'll see you next week.